now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza on this February Sunday night. I'm Nicholas Hodell, Dominic Stern, Dom Contiti as always are alongside me. And this has already been quite the month of February within the college basketball world. We're going to get started straight away with our top story. How about those Sun Devils? What a weekend. Yeah, what an incredible win that was for Arizona State and Desert Financial Arena last night. Contini, you were there. Just how was that experience being there for the 87-84 triple overtime win for ASU against UCLA? Well, like Hurley said in his podcast, I mean, not podcast, uh, press conference after the game, um, literally no one thought it would ever end just the way the overtimes were going. And it was a great battle from start to finish. Um, Arizona State held on there. They took the punches and threw punches back. It was a great game. And I think it's a, a game the Pac-12 really needed because the Pac-12 has been down so much this year, and it was a big win for the Sun Devils, and I really think it will boost them forward. Yeah, just to give you the lines here, Marion Jackson made four of his 11 three-pointers, and even at that clip, it's the kind of the shot that was kind of missing from this team uh, for the long period of time. He had 24. Six different Sun Devils had 10 or more points on the day. I mean, don't discount some of the other individuals from UCLA, too. I mean, Heidi Hawkins in particular was terrific with 27 and 11, along with three assists. He was also good individually as well. Johnny Juicing for a, for a moment was also terrific mm-hmm. in this game as well. Uh, but this was one of those games that, it, I mean, I of course was covering Supercross this that night, yeah. so I was just kind of following all the action through Twitter. Uh, but uh, it seemed like there was all kinds of craziness going down. Yeah, I mean, the touch on uh, what you said about UCLA. I mean, uh, Johnny Juicing with twenty seven, but that twenty seven is. It was allowed 27 in the regulation, but he was quiet in every single overtime period. Um, and he was a bit, him going quiet was a big reason why UCLA wasn't able to come out on top in Tempe. Right. And Arizona State has played a little bit better as of late. Yeah. Playing yep. tough on the road at Stanford, playing really tough on the road at Arizona, uh, playing really tough against USC. Probably should have won that game and probably should have won the Stanford game. As well, so you kind of knew that the way that UCLA plays, they go very slow. This was going to be a close game, and that's exactly what it was. In all reality, I mean, this Arizona State team is by no stretch a good team, but you have to give them a lot of credit. They fight, and they fight hard. And you know, as a student that goes to the school, you have to be proud of the team that coming into this weekend was. 6 and 12 playing against two top 25 teams teams that made it to the elite 8 or further last year and they just fought and fought and fought against them almost yeah. won both of them uh, had to go into triple overtime against the other one and the one that went to the final four and was a shot away from possibly making it to the championship and in all reality it's a four game season for Arizona State and if they can use some of these tough games to build themselves up to that four-game season in Las Vegas at the Pac-12 For tournament, sure. yeah. then maybe you're giving yourself a chance of making it into the field. I, it's probably not going to happen, but they're giving them, they're, they're setting themselves up. This is what you have to do and when have you've lost any chance of being an at-large. Yes, team. sir. Yeah, this is a team that 
it's such a pain to play against because you I mean ever since really since they've gone back to playing on an old basis after their COVID pause in January, I mean this is a team that had hardly played over the course of a month. I mean the game against San Francisco was a really tight game. They come back on January second, get smattered at Cal. Come back 13 days later against Colorado. That game was hardly close either. And and then two days later, they get the win at home against Utah. And in the five in the five games since then, you can kind of feel that this team got a sense of its identity. And I think they have known their identity um, almost ever since the Washington State loss. Remember how bad that game was back in December one? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean that was just. One of the most horrific games I've ever watched in person of basketball. Mm-hmm. But it seems like ever since they've come to realize, and maybe even earlier, that we're not going to get the job done on offense because we're not good on offense. I mean, this is a team that is near the bottom of the country in effective field goal percentage and three-point percentage. They're not lighting it up. But what they do is they make you work for a lot mm-hmm. on, on defense. And I really believe that this is a team that has learned that, they've understood that, and they and they know that if their defense is off, they're done. Yep. Um, and, and kind of the assumption I've had is any time the game gets to be 10 points or more for the opposing team for lead, it's garbage time the rest of the way because yep. there is no run sparker. And I think they kind of understand where they are right now. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just say this last point on ASU. This is the Marion Jackson that we were all hoping for. Yep. I mean, this team has suffered so exactly. much because of the underperforming of Marion Jackson, who was a Mid-American Conference Player of the Year yes, coming to Tempe. And I think a lot of people thought that he was the guy that was going to get the shots. He was going to be the trusted three-point shooter. Instead, that's become DJ Horn's role, and it's only for 20 minutes of basketball. Yep. And th- this was a performance that he needed for his own confidence. And I can tell you this, that game tomorrow on Monday... At home against U of A, is going to be rocking because of what that team did no, on Saturday sure. night. For sure, I mean Marion Jackson. He's from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I actually met him this past summer in Ohio, where I'm from, and he's a dog. And he he loves to work. Coach Hurley said it himself. He's the hardest worker on the team. And like like Nick said, this team prides themselves on defense, and they've been doing that for a while now. Them they. I, I'm I'm inside, so I know they run a ton, and they're they're a hard-working team, and they're gonna make you work, and that's what we're gonna win games in March, and going off of what Dom said, it's a four-game season, and this team can do it. They have the talent. Um, we forget guys like Luther Muhammad who really didn't play last night, which I thought was really interesting, um, but all these players are workhorses, and they're gonna put teams to the test, and tomorrow night. As um, Desert Financial Arena is going to be rocking. And I think Jackson has the ability to get even better. Obviously, he's playing against better competition, but in his years at Toledo, he consistently shot the three ball well. And he did shoot the three ball better in this game against UCLA, but he's only shooting 23% from beyond the arc this year. So you'd expect that as his confidence keeps getting higher, that maybe he's going to get that up to possibly even 30% by the end of the year, or even close to 30%. And the season's not going to be defined by whether or not they beat Arizona on Monday because that ultimately doesn't matter. Now, it'll help your seeding come Pac-12 tournament time, which is obviously important, but 
Uh, you just want to play confident basketball. You're honestly, you're kind of looking for moral victories against a team like Arizona. If you can win, that is perfect. Yeah, and that, that'll and, really ascend mm-hmm. ASU. But and even though Hurley has said before that he doesn't look for moral victories at this point in the season, the kind of confidence you gain from playing a team like that very competitively, and they know what they can do based on what they did in the first half against UFA in Tucson. I think that really helped them out. Quickly, though, let's flip the script and look at UCLA a little bit. Their first quad three loss. They are the final two seed when the bracket matrix updated on Friday. How far down do you think UCLA dropped on the seeding list because of that loss? I mean, they should be a three seed. This team still has only four losses on the year. They have impressive wins over Villanova, over Marquette, uh, over Arizona. So they should still be a three seed. Mm -hmm. And... They're still going to have other opportunities throughout the year. They play at Oregon. They play USC twice. And they still have a game against Stanford and then the Pac-12 conference tournament. So uh, they still have their opportunities. I mean, their next two games are at Stanford and at USC. If they go 2-0 and in those two games, I mean, you're, you're, you're staring down them possibly edging on being a one seed. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the metrics like UCLA, their strength of schedule isn't quite as high, especially out of conference, uh, but it's definitely a solid team still. And to kind of bring this to the whole Pac-12, as Arizona now has built themselves a pretty solid lead here of uh, one and a half couple games, do you guys think Arizona is poised to win the conference after UCLA's stumble this weekend Absolutely. in Arizona? Yes. Um, well, yes, but uh, it's not on our game pick sheet, so I'm just going to say it now. Um, the Sun Devils are beating the Wildcats uh, tomorrow night. Uh, All right. I like the confidence. <laughs> I, I love your confidence. I, I just don't think they're a good matchup, but uh, I, lo- I love the confidence. <laughs> I love the confidence, too. All Let's right. move on a little bit because Saturday's slate, outside of what Arizona State did, was supposed to be a slate of all kinds of incredible games, and instead it became the Saturday blowout showcase as several teams made big-time statements and starting off with Kansas against Baylor. And this is really a game, and also Duke, North Carolina, that by the definition of a shot quality was a 50-50 game, but what actually happened was a far different story. Kansas, 64% from inside the arc. Baylor, only half of that. Very similar three-point shooting. And I'll ask you guys this. Do you guys think a Baylor weakness got exposed on Saturday? Uh... I mean, I think their weakness is playing at Allen Fieldhouse for sure. They have won one time at Allen Fieldhouse, and that was two years ago, (laughs) and then they got absolutely crushed the following time. But, I mean, this Baylor team is still really good. Uh, Whether or not their weakness got exposed, I mean, it's just teams that go kind of fast, but uh, Baylor's going to be fine. Yeah, and this is a Baylor team that is still ranked sixth. uh, And Ken Palm dropped three spots, uh, which which at this high level is a big drop. Uh, for any team, uh, but it's, it's still a team that I really do believe can definitely make some noise, and, you know, you're going to get games like this in the Big 12. It is a tough conference. You're not supposed to go perfect in the Big 12, but you got to learn the lessons from a game like that. you got to really learn um, what it took because the kind of competition you're facing in the Big 12 is the kind of competition you're going to have to beat to win a national championship down the line. And I think Baylor knows that. Actually, in fact, I know Baylor knows that because they are the defending national champions. Yep. They know what it takes to win a national title. And games like this, anyone in the game from last Saturday against Alabama can be learning lessons for them on what it takes to be elite-level competition on the road. And that is pretty much 
the bare bones of that. And I'm going to tell you this, 32% from inside the three-point arc is not going to get you very many wins mm -hmm. against this kind of competition at all. To move on here to Duke and North Carolina. Woof. So much for all the ESPN hype. A 20-point game. And we're going to talk a lot more about the ACC below Duke later on in this program. But I'll give you guys this question. Do you guys think the ACC race might be becoming insurmountable despite this still being a very close race? Uh, I mean, with the way that Duke has played on the road a couple of times this year, being able to escape sometimes, I don't think it's over. I mean, Wake Forest. Well, even at home, too. Yeah, Wake Forest, uh, they, they're only two games behind them. Or is it two? They're only a game behind, and Notre Dame is only a half game behind. So I, I'd say no. Now, Duke does have the win over Notre Dame. As for Wake Forest, they also uh, Duke also beat them, but they have another chance to beat them uh, coming down the stretch. Both teams back-to-back, -back actually. So, uh, I mean, I think that Duke's going to win, but it's not insurmountable. Yeah, Wake Forest will get another chance, and North Carolina will get another chance at this Duke team. So those are a couple of opportunities for the teams that are immediately below you to get an opportunity. But it does see that this conference does a lot of cannibalization. And I believe if that's going to remain the case, Duke has put themselves in a really good spot. Yeah. Especially with Duke's remaining schedule, not having to play uh, Miami or Notre Dame, uh, two of the better teams in this conference. They do have to play with Forest, of course, and then North Carolina at the end of the season. But I think Duke kind of made it out easy with this, the remaining schedule. I mean, it is the ACC. It's still decently quality opponents, but... Um, I think they're still continue rolling as we've seen the last couple of games. They beat Notre Dame by 14 and then North Carolina by 20. So I think Duke rolls, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team would stump them again and Miami or Notre Dame would be crowned ACC champion at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, this is a conference that I, I have felt this way for a number of weeks now. Feels like a bit steel conference mm -hmm. with Duke running the show and then just all these teams kind of like fighting amongst themselves in this bubble that the ACC has put themselves in. We're going to talk a lot more about that later on in this program. I don't want to get too far into that just quite yet. Illinois and Indiana was a really good game for a good amount of time. And then Illinois just exploded in the second half in Assembly Hall, quieted that place down. Pain. And really gave... What do you mean, Ping? I mean, I know you picked Indiana, but you love Kofi Coburn. So. Yeah, but, like, I'm down bad right now <laughs> is the reality of this. Oof. The freshman's in the lead, so... <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we'll talk about this later on, too, but I gained a lot of ground on Stern, too. They got a little <laughs> bit of a separation going on. But I'll ask you guys this, because one of the things I... Uh, my initial thought was, if Illinois is going to win the Big Ten regular season championship, that's the kind of game you got to win. Yep. Because you've got to be able to go into road environments when you know the Big Ten is a bloodbath at the top. You've got to find a way to win against teams like Indiana because Indiana is a step or two below the top tier teams in this conference. And if you can't win on the road against teams like that in tough environments, it does say a little bit about you. I mean, it's just like, what am I going to be able to expect out of you when you go to Mac sure. yeah. I mean, when you go to East Lansing, when you go to Madison. And that was a big time win for Illinois. Having to play in Assembly Hall and then Mackey back to back is really tough. I'm surprised that happened for Illinois, but I'm really looking forward to this game on Tuesday against the Boilermakers. But yeah, that that that's the game you gotta win if you want to win the Big Ten Conference, especially in the regular season. So, I mean, Illinois' schedule rest of the way is definitely tough. They have to play Ohio State. 
Yeah, it's between Michigan on the road, Iowa to end the season. Yeah, I mean, four. They're on a four. They're in the middle of a four or five game stretch that went. Uh, or I mean, they're in the middle of a five. Uh, five out of six. Uh, home against Wisconsin, at Indiana, at Purdue. Home against Northwestern, which is by f- the only easy game. Uh, at the rack, which we have seen some teams get crushed there. And at Michigan State. I mean, that is that is hard. Yeah. So, uh, I personally think Illinois is the best title contender from the Big Ten. Uh, I think Purdue might be, like, the best team, but their defense at some point is going to slip them up in March. We saw that against Iowa State. Yeah, and Illinois has the most balanced team, 17th in adjusted offense, 17th in adjusted defense, 200th in tempo, so they can control the play. They make your possessions kind of rushed, and... Uh, and they slow it down on offense. They have the point guard who's been there. They have the center, my boy Kofi. Uh, they have Plummer who's been elite from outside, shooting 40%, and also Jacob Grannison shooting 43% from three. So uh, I, I think that Illinois is the best title chance from the Big Ten. We were saying that last year too, but they were also the best team in that conference last yeah, year, right absolutely. up there with Michigan. So you think too. Illinois is better than Wisconsin? Uh, I think they have the best. Uh, I they're the best title chance. Yes, Wisconsin has the way they've found so many ways to win close games, and I think that'll help them out. But I think the build of Illinois is better. Okay. That's yeah, fair. it's just been another interesting team to watch. The largest margin of victory at Bloomington for Indiana is 1956 in that game. Definitely some history being made over there. Out west, Gonzaga and BYU. This ended up turning into a game where the same old story of the West Coast Conference is seemingly back. Gonzaga, 90. BYU, 57. And some of these other blowouts, the shot quality gave the impression of a close game. This one did not. The shot quality gave BYU a 0% chance to win the game. That is definitely something I have not seen in a long time. But, and I'll just kind of let you guys go off on this. It really does show the kind of strength that Gonzaga has, even in an improved West Coast Conference, they're still able to do this against the teams that are in Tier 2 of the conference. I mean, Gonzaga and the Gonzaga, Mark Few has uh, made, oh, I, I call it a dynasty. Yes, he hasn't won any championships, but the program that he has created in Spokane, Washington is infathomable. Like, it is insane, like, what they can do. I mean, they haven't won a championship, but I've said this multiple times this season that this is Few's team. And if he doesn't do it, I don't know. Yeah, I think we have to knock him down a little bit on the coaching rankings. But anyway, yeah, this Gonzaga team is special. And what they can do in this West Coast Conference, especially now that the other teams have built themselves up and still dominate, it's really remarkable to see. And I'll let you, Dominic, get a, get a take on this too. Like, it just really feels like that Gonzaga, I mean, as a, they are seemingly a blue blood within this conference. And even when the competition rises up a bit, they still have the guys to be able to just do ridiculous things. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they were projected to win this game 83-73, to according to Ken Palm. They won it 90-57. to So Ooh. just absolutely, they had an elite offensive performance and defensive performance. Uh, Gonzaga, they're the only team in the top 10 of both adjusted offense and adjusted defense at the moment. And you know I love that. Yeah, I mean, there's, you a, know couple, I love there's that. a couple of teams that are really close. Uh, Arizona's 12th in offense. Uh, Kentucky's 11th in defense. Houston is 12th in defense. Baylor's 18th in defense. Auburn's 13-14. Uh, Duke's 11 and 15. So they're close, but Gonzaga's the only team in the top 10. So they're they're truly emerging as that elite team, and they've pulled away 
uh, from the pack, according to Ken Palm. Arizona's number two at 29.15. Gonzaga, five points in front of them, 34.73. They're emerging like they're the best team in the country. I wouldn't be surprised if they move up in front of Auburn in the AP poll. Don, let me ask you this. So not going on numbers, do you think Gonzaga is the best team in the country? uh, I would say yes. I would say it's them, and then I would say Arizona, and then— So you're still holding Arizona— at that high of a standard, hundred percent. Okay. Yes, I, I held on to it after they lost UCLA. They they backed it up this week by mm-hmm. uh by beating UCLA again. They didn't beat them as badly as UCLA beat them in Poly, and then they also beat USC. Uh, it was impressive to see Arizona slow it down because they faced USC and UCLA, two teams that played a slow pace, and be able to play at that pace and still win. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a chance to move on to another team out west who made a big impact, Wyoming, mm-hmm. and this is a team that I. I at least myself, for a really good amount of time, was just kind of impressed that they remained as high as they were in the net rank. And I never thought it materialized. Well, here they are after a three-game week for Wyoming in which they beat Colorado State at home in overtime, Boise State at home on Thursday, and then and they get a quad one road win against Fresno State with a game that just wrapped up mm-hmm. about a half hour ago. They now have two quad two wins this week and a quad one win this week. 19 and 3. They are now the best team in the net. And this is incredibly impressive for this program. And I, I'm just going to ask you guys this at 19 and 3, with the schedule they have coming up, what percentage do you guys give Wyoming of making the tournament as an at large? I'd say an 80% chance. And I just want to say this before we go to Dom. How about them, Cowboys? Eighty <laughs> percent chance is fair. Um, they definitely can do it. Uh, this conference is awesome. So uh, I lo- I like this Cowboys team. So I- I'm excited to see what they can do the rest of the way because they're already on a four game winning streak. So and their next game is against a red hot Utah State team. I mean Utah State is on fire ever since they demolished San Diego State. They've rattled off five straight wins, all of them mm-hmm. by at least. 15 points. And they've, and they've also become a team that's entering the next four out in some bracketologies as well. They're starting to enter the radar of the bracketologists. Yeah, which makes me feel a lot better about San Diego State going up there and getting <laughs> smashed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing about this Nana West Conference is I believe Wyoming getting that road win was huge because yeah. a lot of the teams in the conference have a lot of work to do to get into that top 30, which is the magic mark for home games to become quad one. And both the Boise State game and the Colorado State game, as impressive of wins as they are, they're still quad two. And I know that quad two wins, they don't sound as flattering and as sparkly and beautiful as quad one it's wins. It's the Mountain West. But they are important when it comes to the resume. Especially in the resume, there are no bad losses. And you only have four opportunities to pick those up. Now, there is also half of your schedule. So there is definitely some warning, not necessarily warning signs necessarily, but there's traps. And it's going to be so very interested in seeing if Wyoming can manage it because their strength of record is fantastic despite their strength of schedule rank being not as up there as some of the other teams that are in the category of where Wyoming is right now. But two quad one wins in the resume, four quad two wins in the resume. It is looking really good. And the net rank does take Wyoming a bit higher than pretty much every other metric out there. It's ranging from about 23rd in the KPI to 98th in the BPI. Uh, but the mixture of those uh, metrics make this Wyoming resume in a really solid position. And 
Dominic, you mentioned that Utah State game. Uh, quad 2, I don't know how much that'll have the chance to move up, but that'll be a very interesting game in and of itself. And then you're down to a schedule that includes a couple of quad 3 games left on the schedule and a couple of quad 4 games right. left on the schedule. Still some traps in the Mountain West. Yeah, it's going to make things very interesting. How much breathing room do you think Wyoming has right now? I think they have a good amount of breathing room. They can't win. They can't lose any of these traps at home. So losing to Air Force, you absolutely can't do that. Losing at home to Nevada, you can't do that. And then you could probably afford one loss either at UNLV, uh, at New Mexico. You really can't lose at San Jose State. And then losing at Colorado State, uh, losing at home to San Diego State, or at home to Fresno State aren't bad losses. So uh, they, they, they just got to avoid the traps of the Mountain West. Uh, fortunately, they don't have to go to Air Force. That's a game that uh, has historically been just the trappiest trap game. And they and only won that game by two this season as exactly, well. Exactly, yes. So uh, they don't have to do that. Uh, but at Colorado State is probably going to be a loss because they have been on fire at home, minus the one game against UNLV. So before we get to Dom for his take on this, if you can put a number on the amount of games that they need to win to ensure they're safe even before the Mountain West Tournament, what's that number? Uh, let's see. They're at 19 right now. They have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Uh, and I'll give you the quad breakdown as well. 1, quad 1, 3, quad 2, and 2 in both quad 3 and 4. Uh, I mean, uh, if you get to 26 wins, you're safe. I think 26, you're safe. 25, it depends who you lost to. All right, now we'll get to Mr. Contini on just kind of where he thinks Wyoming's situation is right here. My Wyoming's situation, um, I think they're pretty good where they are right now. Um, like Dom said, I would say if they get to that 25-win range, 24-win range, I think they're pretty solid. Yeah, and, and with Wyoming, Friday's Matrix had them as the final 11 seed, and with them just picking up a quad one win, they're going to move up. Yeah, for sure. Because when you get to the bubble that becomes more and more noticeable uh, when you're comparing a resume to teams like a North Carolina, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, uh, and, and teams like even a Wake Forest or a Miami. Uh, but I personally believe that Wyoming is about as good a spot as they could have dreamt of. And to me, as long as you don't lose in quad three and quad four, so that will put them up to 23 uh, in the win column, they can absolutely afford, avoid, uh, afford uh, to lose a Colorado State. So they're still about 23. And then you look at these three games in quad two. And I think I think Mr. Stern's on the right path with the 25-26 range. Like, that's going to get you in a safe position as long as you avoid the trap in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I don't think Wyoming's going to have to face that, but they'll probably have one. And that could be a big deal. But with the strength of the Mountain West Conference... It is looking increasingly like a Wyoming Cowboy team that's going to be an at-large. And teams like Wyoming getting at-large is just good for college basketball overall. I mean, that, that's just the point of it. I mean, I think people are definitely getting a bit more tired of, you know, your Big 12s just stacking up bids left and right. And, the, I mean, the SEC have a lot of bids this season, but conferences that are getting, like, you know, 8, 9, 10 bids at some, some points. Like, I think people are getting a little weary of it. And it's in the Mountain West being so good, the West Coast Conference being so good, is giving fresh air to the bubble this season, which is really, really good for the sport, in, in my opinion. Now, we have a few minutes before we get into some of the other stuff I want to mention. I want to go off a little bit, and I know we'll have your fresh take a little later on in the show, Contini. But my, my, my big deal is, is the core stormings that we've seen this past week. 
I was actually my first take, uh, so we can talk about this. Ah, uh, uh, you know yeah. what? Let's save that actually then. Okay. And and we'll go now straight into the ACC. I just actually a real thank you so much. It's all good. Yeah. It's all um, exciting now. Oh, oh my, oh, got, got me excited more, too. Uh, but the ACC, we've been teasing this for the last half-hour show here in the College Basketball Bonanza, live from the Boston Radio Studio in downtown Phoenix at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. This is an ACC that, outside of Duke, is just in a weird spot, in a spot that I don't know if anyone could have ever imagined. Uh, right now, your second team in the net is Wake Forest at 38th. Mm-hmm. North Carolina, 42nd. Virginia Tech, 52nd, Notre Dame, 63rd, Miami, 73rd. That right there is your cutoff for away games being in quad one. And that's away games. And that's not even counting the home games because the home games for the teams below that are in quad three or below. That's Clemson is 79th, Florida State, 84th, Syracuse, 85th, Virginia, 88th. Everyone else is not even in the top 100 in net. This is a conference that... The more it cannibalizes itself, the more and more potential of one of the sh- most shocking and, quite frankly, absurd bid numbers for the ACC I could have ever imagined. I mean, this is I mean, what are we looking at here? Like, the, if this bracket were to be solely on net as of today, it's only a three bid ACC. Wild. Yeah. Were they an eight bid league four years ago? Let me me make sure I uh, get the numbers right here, but I definitely think you're on the right path um, with that. I mean, just last year, seven bids. Just last year. That's without UNC. Yeah, they were— And Duke. Sorry, without Duke, UNC made the tournament. They were nine bids in 2018 and 2017. Nine. Nine. Hand up, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it actually brings even more of a shock factor to what is going on right now in the ACC. This is a conference that, uh, obviously, including 2020, which would have gotten five bids. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, probably eight straight years of being at least five bids. It's looking like that's going to be snapped. No, it, it is. It's just, it's just a stunning, stunning <laughs> development. And some of the calls from pundits and analysts, um, particularly early on, I think it has quieted down a lot more with the rise of teams like Wake Forest. But... The call that maybe the ACC was only good enough for the one bid in Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys see any real potential for that being a possible scenario? First off, no. Wake, Wake Forest deserves to be in the NCAA tournament. Outside of that, I mean, this could be a two bid league, but Wake Forest is absolutely a tournament team. Well, like Duke is definitely the pivotal favorite. It's not, it's not even close. Like in this conference, like Duke's the best team, and there's no one on their level and. If, if we're going on tiers, Duke is tier one, and then everyone else is tier five. That's, that's <laughs> the gap. But um, to answer your question, yeah, it's a too big league just because it's the ACC, and Duke is, has lost a couple of times. And I would say Duke is going to lose one or two more games. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not just going to be Duke. Yeah, and, and, we, and if we look at Friday's matrix, Duke was the first three seed. The next ACC team on this list is Miami at a 10, which to me makes absolutely no sense given Miami, Miami's resume, but they're there. Wake Forest and North Carolina are both 11s, and then everyone else is kind of the outside looking in. And when I was looking at the matrix a bit more, looking at the individual, individual, 
Uh, outside of those four, it really seems like only one team is getting any sort of a medal, and that's Notre Dame. 14 of the 20 brackets out of the 112 that include Notre Dame were brackets from Friday, the last time this matrix updated. So, and, and in that scenario, there is some momentum behind from the bracketologists that, you know, maybe Notre Dame's in this mix. Only one of the 13 brackets in the matrix from Friday included Florida State. There is no momentum behind the Seminoles. That's well deserved. Yeah. Uh, but this is definitely a leak that I mean, when I look when I look at some of these teams, I mean, just I mean, I'm just gonna read off some of these other teams uh, from the headline onward uh, because that is where Miami is included. So this is these are the 12 teams from the headline onward that are not counted as automatic qualifiers. Murray State's the exception here because they are the current AQ out of the Ohio Valley. Satan Hall, obviously Miami, San Francisco, Wake Forest, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Wyoming, Creighton, San Diego State, Oregon, West Virginia. So that's the kind of competition we're working with here for these ACC teams. Knowing that, where do you guys think some of these ACC teams are in comparison to those teams? I think Notre Dame can compete with those teams. And I think Notre Dame is the type of team, they, they have a lot of veteran um, strength. Uh, so they, they're going to be able to beat teams like Duke, like, which we saw. No, they didn't beat Duke, they beat Kentucky. My bad. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Notre Dame has one more quad one game against Wake Forest, and then they have two more quad two games, Clemson and Florida State. And Florida State, I think that's a huge game. So because whoever wins that, whoever loses that, whoever loses that, they have no chance making a tournament. Who, whoever wins that, yeah, they can keep their chance. But teams like Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Miami, I think those three teams can compete with the teams you just listed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Wake Forest can compete certainly with those two teams, and that's because they have one of the best players in this conference. And obviously, these are out of conference opponents, but Alondis Williams has been spectacular for Wake Forest. And if you have potentially the best player on the floor, you can win just about any game. And Notre Dame has so many quality wins that they absolutely can too. But uh, North Carolina, probably too. Because North Carolina, when they play good, they're really good. But their problem is that they have some like just bad losses or just blowout losses. Uh, including this weekend against Duke, 15 points against Tennessee on a neutral floor, Kentucky, by 29, uh, losing to Notre Dame. Uh, Miami, they got crushed. Wake Forest crushed them. So uh, UNC, when they play well, they're a very good team. Yeah, and this, this is the point where I wish I had a Vlad Lesman exercise prepared like we did last week, but I don't. So let's, let's get into a Bonanza rank now, which, as you know out there for our listenership, we will rank literally anything and everything. This week, and we're, this is a tie-in to what we just talked about, outside of Duke... The three best ACC resumes. Okay. So we are ranking resumes this week. Again, outside of Duke, it's pretty certain that Duke's going to get in no matter where they're seated, no matter what happens. Uh, but outside of Duke, uh, the three best ACC resumes. And I'm going to let Mr. Contini start out this week with this. Okay. At number three. My number three is another name, like I just mentioned. Um, they have a win against Kentucky. Uh, they've held their own in the ACC. And... Like they've showed they can compete, so they're my number three. Yeah, my number three is going to be North Carolina. And one thing, <clears throat> if you look, at <clears throat> oh man, uh, if you look at the net rankings, and one thing I like about net is that like it does value how much you win by. But 
uh, it doesn't, 15 is the maximum margin of victory to where it takes into account for it. And because <clears throat> if you lose bad, you lose bad. It doesn't matter because, like, you can give up at some point. North Carolina and Notre Dame have pretty similar resumes, uh, similar records uh, in both conference and out-of-conference play. And when I look at it, it's just these really bad losses for North Carolina are kind of holding them back. I would lean more towards North Carolina with the third-best resume. Yeah, for me, uh, I, I am going with Notre Dame here. Uh, this is a, a team that does have a couple of quad one wins, only one bad loss. Um, the strength of schedule rank is not going to help them, either or the metric, but their strength of record is 34th. I think that's a big thing uh, going forward, and I do definitely believe that Notre Dame needs to be considered uh, as, as one of those teams that can get into the conversation and potentially get in, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Number two. My number two is going to be Charlie Moore and the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, I like Charlie Moore a lot. This team has beaten Duke. They showed they can compete. They beat um, North Carolina by almost 30. So, I mean, I know Dom mentioned the bad losses North Carolina have. And that, I, I look at that a lot more closely because North Carolina really hasn't impressed me all year. So my number two is the Hurricanes from Miami. Yeah, I have Miami here at number two. And Nick, you mentioned earlier that you haven't you were talking about some of their bad losses, so I'll be interested to hear who you put at number two. Uh but when you look at it, I mean UCF at home, that's not a good loss, but you know, it could be worse. UCF's not a bad team. Uh Dayton and Alabama, neutral floor. At Florida State by one. Uh Florida State by one at home, not a bad loss there. Uh Notre Dame by four, you know, I mean that's one you wanna win. And then at Virginia, that's not a bad loss either. So I mean, I you look at it, and they have a they have the win at Duke. I mean that that really stands out on the resume. And they're 16 and seven. They they found ways to win some close games. Uh, so I, I'm gonna give Miami the nod here too. And I'll I'll get Miami take after we're all done with our bonanza rank. But number two for me is gonna be Wake Forest, and I'm gonna describe a little bit later my difference between number two and number one. Uh, but Wake Forest. Has a quality win in quad one. That is definitely something that is going to help. It does look like it's going to be safe. Um, maybe Virginia Tech drops out of the top 75. I don't see that happening, so I'm going to see them in the safe category. Metrics seem to like Wake Forest a lot. Strength of record in the top 25. Strength of schedule is kind of below um, the team that I have that number one, which is actually my big tiebreaker here between the two resumes. But the quality win for Wake Forest, no bad losses in particular. It's definitely one of the cleaner resumes out of this muddied mess of the ACC. Finally, number one. My number one is Wake Forest. Um, I mean, they're, they're like Dom, Dom did a good uh, impression on them earlier, but they, they've shown they can compete and they. Ran through their non-conference schedule, only losing to LSU, which is a solid team. They have lost to Miami and Louisville. But that loss to Duke, they were in that game. But then Duke just came on top. But I've just been more impressed by this Wake Forest team than any other team besides Duke in this conference. Yeah, I mean, I have Wake Forest here at number one, too. I really don't think they have any truly bad losses. Now, the loss at Louisville, you're going to say, is a bad loss, and that's completely fine but that was before louisville fell apart and as we all know losing at the yum center which is top five arena name in college basketball uh is not a, it's a tough place to play and especially when the crowd was into it before louisville fell off uh not a terrible loss but neutral floor against lsu 
at Louisville, like I just mentioned, at Miami, who we've talked about, lost to Duke, and then at Syracuse, who's playing a lot better. And we all know going up to the Carrier Dome is really hard. So <clears throat> Wake Forest, number one. The reason why I'm North Carolina at the top of my rank is because of this. The strength of schedule is one of the best in college basketball. Overall strength of schedule is 14th in the country. At a conference strength of schedule is 17th. That is something that pales in comparison to the Wake Forest resume and the Notre Dame resume I talked about earlier, particularly Notre Dame, who's 300th in that category. Despite not having a quad one win, which alarms me, alarms many, they are clean in the other three quadrants. That's three wins in quad two and 13 wins in the other two quadrants combined. A strength of record that is very similar to two the two resumes I described earlier, the metrics are a little weaker compared to Wake Forest, but I actually find them very comparable. Uh, I don't see a whole lot to really um, to differentiate between the two. Uh, and the average net loss uh, is 29, which is also very interesting because I do think that that could also be a consideration. If people want to know why North Carolina, despite not having a quad one win, is still in the mix, it's because their face of schedule is so strong that they are able to keep themselves in the conversation. I mean, they've won 16 games in the other three quadrants. That holds some strength in me in a big-time way. And I very much believe that I mean, they, they're going to have to get a quality win at some point. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And they only have two more chances to do so. At Duke, at Virginia Tech. So they will need to win at least one of those. And it's looking like that the game in Blacksburg is going to be the most important game of North Carolina's season. But at the moment, the strength of schedule is keeping North Carolina afloat in a massive, massive way. My thing is, I don't think North Carolina's beat a team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament outside of the Dean Dome. I, I don't think they have. And, and that, is a very, that is a very good point. And I, and I do believe the committee is going to consider that. But I also believe they're going to consider that strength of schedule. Which, yeah, but what they have, what have they done with that strength of schedule, though? So far, not much. Okay. To, to all your guys' points. But that is going to be the eye-catcher compared to the rest of the bubble. Because you've got an out-of-conference strength of schedule that is in the top 20 nationally. I mean, just to go off the other mentions I put in my rank, Leonard Damon, that same category, is 300th. And it's an eye-catcher for sure. When you have that metric being as good as it is. So strength of the record... Uh, 33rd. No, I mean, strength of the record is important to you even if they don't have, let's say, a good record with that strength of record. It's going to be something that I think is going to be an interesting case Okay. with this North Carolina team, especially if they cannot get that quad one win. That might be the only thing they need right now. Is as long as they're clean in the other quadrants, they're going to be in, a, in an okay position. Okay. But there's still a lot of quad three traps... One quad four game coming up in a few weeks against Pittsburgh. They have work to do. Okay. A lot of it. That's fair. But at the moment, I think North Carolina's resume is one that the strength of schedule is eye-popping, and they, sh and they will surely get a very hard consideration from that committee because of it. I think that's the one thing that's really keeping them not only afloat, but well and alive. And before we get to, to Kentini's fresh take, Miami... I cannot defend a team that is 73rd in net and has two losses in quad three. I cannot do it. Period. Even if they beat a team like Duke. I mean, like, we'll get North Carolina. I mean, their average net win is 150th 
and then their average 151st, and their average net loss is 29th. So that that proves your point that their strength of record is really good, and they're only losing to good teams. But they haven't beat a team. That that by the way is still better than Wake Forest and Notre Dame's. Okay. That's still it's it's it's, it's marginal, but it's still better. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I think the takeaway from this is that none of these teams have. Good resumes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ultimately the takeaway. And wherever you want to put those four teams that we have all mentioned in there is completely up to you. And you know what? What a great way to wrap that up. So now we'll get to Continue's fresh take, and boy, this is going to be a good one. I yeah. cannot wait for this. So um, before I, before we let you loose, I'm going to make sure my phone is activated for 90 seconds on my clock here. This, this is going to be really good. I'm going to have to really sit back for this. 90 <laughs> seconds on the timer, and off you go, my man. All right. So, like, I want to with this segment to like make a conclusion on what is the right circumstance to uh, rush rush to court because last night uh, let's let's give Arizona State for example that to me is a great example of when to rush to court it's a ten and a half point underdog um, beating UCLA a top five team in the country yeah. We weren't supposed to win that game, so that gives students the reason to go and celebrate. Another reason for I think a school should celebrate is a rivalry. So like when Ohio State beats Michigan, they should always have the right to rush for it because that is a game where it, it's it divides families, it divides friendships. Like it's a game everyone looks forward to. But looking at a game that happened this week, it was between Colorado State. And San Diego State. Those are two of the better teams in that conference. Like it was supposed to be a good game. And yes, Don mentioned this to me before before the show. Yes, San Diego State has dominated the Mountain West Conference the last couple of years. But that doesn't give yeah, okay, maybe it doesn't happen that often, but that doesn't give a reason for Colorado State to rush for because I mean my dad always told me this growing up. You gotta act like you've been there before. Because this Colorado State team is going to be there this year. So, yeah. You know, and this is something I was actually talking about with someone earlier outside in the halls of the Cronkite School. Like, to me, there is an unwritten kind of law of the land of court storming and field storming in football. And I was was watching that game with one of my friends at the very end of it, and I saw that court storm like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Really? It was just like when Clemson came back to beat Syracuse in football one year and they rushed the field. Yeah, well, that, that was really dumb. Okay. My 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 thing, and like you said, Dom, I, I, I was like, you know, beating San Diego State for some of these Mountain West schools is a big deal. San Diego State has been there and they've done that. And especially the last two years, they've been just the absolute cream of the crop of the, of the conference. And so for Colorado State to do that, you know, they didn't get to host San Diego State last year. Uh, I forget what happened in 2019-20. But, I mean, when they stormed the court, I'm like, oh, really? Like, come on. Especially because they blew a 20-point lead in that game. Like, they were, they were. I mean, let's also talk about it. They were blatant missed foul call on that final shot by Matt Bradley. But uh, SDC didn't deserve to win it. Uh, when you ha- It's all about college sports. And it's what we love about college sports is that the students – are there to support their fellow students and the players are there representing the university and they are being supported by the students who also go to their university. So when you pick up a big win like that, 
the students they can go celebrate on the court with the with they their fellow students. They can go celebrate in the bars. They can go celebrate on Miller Avenue, like Peyton Gallagher said. Now here's another thing. Here's another thing to point out. Wyoming and the great week they had. They stormed the court twice in one week. What do we say about that? So I, I would ask this: So if we beat Arizona tomorrow, do you do you think it's right for us to storm the court? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, because that that that's like that's my opinion. It, it it it's a rivalry, so it means more to to these students. When was the last time Wyoming basketball was relevant? I mean, it's been a long time. So they stormed the court twice because they. I mean, this was the biggest week in Wyoming basketball history. I mean, I'll say it. <laughs> I mean, th- this was monumental for them. I was shocked they went on the road and beat Fresno State today. I'll I'll say that. Uh, I mean, it's just, I'm never going to criticize fans for storming the field or storming the court in this case. It's, for context, it's been seven years since Wyoming's made the tournament. Right. And they, the, this team has so many good wins. So I, 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 I haven't seen anything wrong with it. Yeah. And, and, and in that time, this, this, that team has endured a lot of really bad seasons, uh, especially in the last two years of Alan Edwards' tenure. Uh, but, and again, it's just another opportunity to praise Coach Jeff Linder for what he's done in Wyoming. That has just been absolutely brilliant. Uh, but there are a, a lot of opinions about the art of court storming and field storming. When should a team do it and stuff? My thing is, is that, and I, 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 I talk Ohio State of football a lot on this. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was telling this earlier. When we beat Penn State this year, a Penn State team that's having a down year, and we rushed the field, and we try to say that Penn State's a rival. They're not a rival. So... That I, I was really annoyed, so I agree with you, Nick, on that, and I don't back Ohio State fans. With... And when was the last time those two legitimately been rivals, when the BCS was on ABC? <laughs> <laughs> they were never rivals. Our rival is Michigan, plain and simple, no one else. Yeah, and and, and, I, and I even dog Ohio State for storing their field against Michigan because it's a program that has been there and done that and needs to act that way. And, 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 that's, kind of the, and that's kind of the way I, I think when favorites – Storm the court. Okay, like, so your rule is underdogs are only allowed to storm the court. It's a long and complicated process okay. for me. Like it, the rankings do have something to do with it, but we're gonna move on from this because we could spend the rest of the show <laughs> talking about it. But guess what? We don't have time for that because we're getting to our picks uh, for this week. And I had a very good weekend, going five and zero oh, uh, on the weekend. Um, get getting one on continuing over the weekend and getting. Three on, on Mr. Stern over the course of this weekend. He says this is a Cronkite star student curse. Yeah. Uh, Shout but out Cronkite. I was a Cronkite star, so like you were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was it during the season? Yeah. It, it, yeah. But the freshman's in the lead. So. <laughs> anyway, to update you on the records, Contini is 62 and 38. If you have that up, yes, we have read the 100 game mark for this season. I'm sitting at 61 and 39. Mr. Stern is at 56 and 44. There's a little quibbling because you're able to do a big announcement at the end of the show regarding next week's program. Kansas and Texas are the first of the five midweek games we're picking. We're all going with Kansas here, uh, which, which should be a very interesting environment there. There's and, no better team in the country than Kansas when I pick against them. It's <laughs> a good point. And we'll let you explain a little bit on Illinois because you had them going into Mackey Arena and going there and winning as your contrarian for this one. Yeah, I just think they're starting to play really good basketball right now. I did say that I think Purdue's the better team, but Illinois is the better tournament uh, yep. champion. You said that. But I think that Illinois is going to steal this one. I think they're playing better basketball right now, and I think they'll steal it. Another contrarian from Mr. Stern here with Wisconsin at Michigan State. In a game that I was going back and forth, I almost picked Michigan State, but I did not. Mr. Stern did. Yeah, I just think going to 
going to the Izzo house uh, and going to the I forget where they play. It's like the Breslin Center. Uh, yep, that's what's it's good. It's gonna be hard. And Wisconsin, they haven't been looking as good as of late. So uh, I'll take the one Michigan thing. State. I'll add this: the one thing that scares me about picking Wisconsin here is Michigan State just got railed by Rutgers at the rack. So and I that's what I was thinking too. We're, we'll discuss that game at our after party, which you can listen to on Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. Arizona time on your preferred podcast platform. But I was going through all kinds of thought processes, and eventually that was the one that got me in the end. Morehead State at Belmont. We're all taking Belmont. Big stakes for Belmont. A loss in this game would almost certainly put Belmont third in the OVC. That is a big deal. That is the difference between advancing directly to the semifinals of the OVC tournament, which for a team like Belmont, if you're trying to steal a bid, is a huge deal, and having to play an extra game in the quarterfinals. That is a huge deal for Belmont, and we all have the Bruins defending home court against Moorhead State. UConn at Xavier is another interesting game. We should continue to go into the Contarian here with Xavier at home against UConn. Yeah, uh, it's... It's Nunge. It's the Centaur Center. It's the Hell in the Cell, like John Rothstein says. I just have no reason to pick the Huskies going into Cincinnati and stealing a win against the Musketeers. This Musketeers team is a good team. So I'm picking the Xavier Musketeers here, and um, my two colleagues are picking UConn. So that surprises me. To the weekend picks, UCLA at USC. We're all going with UCLA. I don't think USC has looked quite as good as they have. Uh, really, in recent weeks. Arkansas at Alabama. Mr. Stewart with his third and final contrarian of this set of picks, going with Arkansas on the road. I can't pick an Alabama game to save my life. So, <laughs> uh, Arkansas is playing really good basketball as of late, so I'll, I'll ride with the pigs. Woo pig. Ohio State at Michigan. We all go with Ohio State. And, you know, Michigan is still highly ranked in the net, but, you know, that's a team that just has far disappointed uh, compared to expectations. And so, and that'll be a tough game. I'm sure Mr. Continue can say it a little bit here. That might be a challenging game on the road against a rival. No, it'll be close. Um, whatever the line is for people who are over 21, um, I would take the underdog. I'm not saying Michigan's, I'm not saying Michigan's going to win, but I think they will cover. I think this game will be close. Well, that's assuming Ohio State's going to be favored. Yeah, on Kempom, has Michigan winning 75-74. Wow. So, I mean, you're going to be looking at a really tight line. Okay. Now that's going to be very, very interesting there. Texas at Baylor. We are once again all saying horns down and going with <laughs> Baylor at home to defeat Texas. Chattanooga at Furman. This is the game between the top two teams in the Southern Conference. A couple of teams with pretty solid offenses. Their defenses aren't quite up to par compared to their offenses. I am the contrarian here going with Chattanooga. Uh, against Furman, I, I really do like a, a Furman's loss at home this past Saturday against UNC Greensboro. Uh, a little bit of a warning sign there, um, quite frankly, in my opinion. But I am expecting a very, very good game with Furman hosting Chattanooga. And again, we love to put the mid-major flair and things here on the Bonanza. And so that is going to be, a, I think, one of the more underrated games of all a Saturday slate. That's going to be a game that yeah. should be worth paying attention to at least a little bit. The reason I picked Furman, they're at home, and also Chattanooga has two games during the week as opposed to Furman's just one on Monday. Yeah, a lot of preparation might be in order there for them. So that'll be it for this week's show. Next week, we are moving our live show time up to 9 a.m. Arizona time on Super Sunday. Both of the Doms have dogs in the fight. 
Mr. Stern with the Rams. Almost. Mr. Continuing with the Bengals. Well, a lot of content featuring those two guys on our Twitter, at College Bonanza. It's also the place where you'll find all kinds of exclusive content, including our Shining Diamonds. We're moving that over to Twitter as well. So you're going to want to follow us, at College Bonanza, on Twitter for all kinds of fantastic content throughout the week. And as a reminder, our after-party episode will be live Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. We'll have a very good slate there, including some conversations about the Big 12, the upset systems of Saturday outside of UCLA, and Providence, 20-2. and two. Yep. They are a team that has really come up and surprised a lot of people. We're going to talk about them in our after-party, which we'll be able to listen to Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. Arizona time on your preferred podcast platforms. So breakfast twice with Bonanza this week. You love to see it. Yeah. You absolutely love to see that. So that'll be it for this edition of the College Bass Bonanza. For Dom Cantini and Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. And, of course, there's just one last thing to do on a Sunday night here on Blaze Radio. And that's, of course, play one shining moment because it is not a college bass bonanza without the beautiful tune of one shining moment. So enjoy the next three minutes with this. And have a very good week, everyone.